today, we want to finish up our message on, on real church. We want to finish up on 2 Corinthians. And next week, we're going to start a whole new series on the minor prophets called The Season in the Minors. And yes, I'm playing on the baseball thing, so I'm having fun with that. So, uh, but that's a season in the minors that's coming up next week. We're going to talk about the minor prophets and prophets that uh, a lot of times we don't preach out of. Uh, Nahum, Zephaniah, you know, things like that. But we're going to look at what, were the, what do they say to us today? What image do they have for us today? But today we want to finish our series on 2 Corinthians on what it means, what it meant for them to be a real church. And when I mean real, I mean not good all the time. Okay, because sometimes we think of people in the Bible and say, well, yeah, if you'd have known Jesus, everything would have been perfect. We have no, they would have had no problems. Well, these are people that are living in the generation of Jesus. And here's, we've talked about through First and Second Corinthians, there are four major splits going on within the church. They have major immorality in the church, and members were proud that they had not disciplined the member. So like, yeah, we've got immorality, and we're proud we're not doing anything about it. They had out-of-control misuse of spiritual gifts. In fact, they were at the stage that they were kind of so disordered and crazy that if any new person came to the church, they thought they were mad. They, they had picked spiritual leaders poorly based on the wrong attributes. They picked spiritual leaders based on who bragged the most about how great they were. They, some of the members were suing one another in courts. Instead of handling their disputes internally, they were just saying, I'm going to take you to court, I'm going to take you to court. There were some doctrinal heresies that were going on. Some said Jesus did not rise from the dead. Others were hyper-legalistic, where they would say all kinds of different rules. You know, that you couldn't wear this, or you had to, had to act this way, or if you ate this kind of meat, or things like that, they became so legalistic. The other group that was going on in the same church was saying, once you're saved, and this was using Greek thought, your spirit is saved, but your body can do whatever it wants. So they came up with that doctrine. So they got both those doctrines going on in the same church. Others, um, had, they, were, they were going off, on, especially onto tangents, onto these super apostles, and they would switch groups back and forth. And it's amazing that God did not give up on this church. It's also great for us that there are two letters in the Bible, two of the longest Pauline letters, that are dealing with all of their problems. So we can see, we can learn from the Corinthians. We can learn from them. One of the things I've learned as I, as I grow a little bit older is when I see a, somebody, a young person, which is getting to be more and more people that are younger than me, everybody knows what I'm talking about, and you see them doing something stupid, okay? And you say, well, no, young people never do anything stupid. Well, I did. Okay, and what I want to do when they're doing something stupid is say, hold on, I did that, and here's what happened. I was stupid, don't do what I did. Anybody else like doing that? I remember my aunts and uncles um, are, were heavy smokers, and I remember distinctly them going up to me, John, don't smoke. It's a bad habit. And I, I, I took that to heart. Because what they were saying is, I wish I never would have done this. And I'm trying to quit. And I, they had a cigarette in their hand telling me not to smoke. And I, I just remember that. And I, I thought it was weird at the time. But now I look back and I say, you know what? They did care about me. 
They did care, but that's why they said that. And we can all, and we look at the Corinthian church, and they're, I would think that the Corinthian church would love the fact that we're learning from them. That they're saying, don't do what we did. We had to go through three letters, one that we lost, there was a severe letter, there's a visit, there's, I mean, they have more action going on in the New Testament. But we can learn from them and not go after their mistakes. But you know, we have problems in northern Minnesota. We have issues that we're dealing with here. It's not like, well, just the Corinthians have those problems. We like to splinter in Minnesota. We like to splinter into our little groups and we don't like something that's going on. Well, we'll just splinter off into our own little group here, little group there. We have cabin fever that exists both in the summer and in the winter in northern Minnesota. In other words, don't bother me it's summer, I'm at the cabin at the boat. Don't bother me it's, it's winter, I'm staying inside because it's cold. Okay? And we kind of have this issue, and we really need to get together and have community in the church. Ooh, I don't want to leave my house. That's a very, I talk to pastors all over time. That's just like a common issue that we have. It, and it's just, it just fits us up here. You know, and we have all, we have immorality that exists in northern Minnesota. I know you're all sitting there writing this down. What? Immorality in northern Minnesota? I didn't know. I thought that was just Canada. But you know, it is true that we have sinful things that happen in Bemidji area. So when we look at this passage, we're going to start with uh, verse uh, chapter 12 and go all the way through the end of the, the book today. But in 2 Corinthians 12, we need to understand, starting with verse 14, that first of all, when God looks at his church, God looks at us, and he's looking at this Corinthian church. And one of the things I think we need to understand you're thinking about that he still calls them saints and brothers in Christ. Because God has not given up on them yet. God is not giving up on us as long as we want to work with him. So the first thing is God cares for his church. Let's understand this. If you look at Paul when he says in 2 Corinthians twelve fourteen, Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek what is your... Not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. The first thing we need to understand is that Paul, as the advocate of Christ, as the advocate of God, is saying this to us. God is our father, our parent, and he will not give up on us. He will not give up on us. We can give up on him, but there's nothing we're doing that God's going to turn his back on us. I've talked to so many people and they say, well, I grew up in the church and then I went off in this direction and, well, God can't love me anymore. And I said, I don't see that in the Bible. I always bring up David. I bring up Paul in the Bible. I bring up other people in the Bible. I've just done horrible things and God has forgiven them. Now, I didn't want them to do it, but God cares for his church. God has so much care that he treats us as parents. And we all know that we'll do things for our children that we will not do for everybody else's children. I've talked about before. I've seen some people with nicer cars than I have here. I've never walked up to them and said, hey, can I drive that? Like I would my own dad. If my dad had a car, he might let me drive it. Somebody else's dad's going to look at me and say, no, you can't drive my car. But my dad might. He might be crazy enough to do that. All right? You're crazy enough to let your kids do stuff that you wouldn't let uh, you know, other kids do. You, you know, it's like, no, get out of here. But if it's your own kid, you'll do it for them. That's what God thinks of us. 
that love that he has for us that never changes. I've told my children, and I'm sure many of you told your children too, there's nothing you can do that's going to stop me from loving you. Nothing. If I'm visiting you in prison someday, I will still love you. I will still care for you. Nothing. Okay? And that's important to understand that that is how God cares about his church. And this is a dysfunctional church. It's also important to understand that that God only gives good gifts to his church. And uh, Jesus talks about the fact that when a father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will he instead give him a fi- uh, uh, for a fish, give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know that know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And what he was trying to say right there is God loves you and will give you what you need and cares about you. Okay, now on this same track, we're going to see some discipline. Because when you care enough about somebody, it means you also care enough about them to discipline them. All right, when you see somebody else's kid doing something wrong, what do you, what do you think of? Where's their parents so that they can discipline them? It's not our job to walk around and discipline every kid, but it'd be great if every parent did. The next thing we need to understand in the same track is God wants what is good for His church. If we look at 2 Corinthians 19-21, through 21, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? This is Paul talking. It is in the sight of God that we are speaking in Christ, all for your upbringing, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come to you, I may find you not as I wish, And that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, God may humble me before you. That I may have to mourn over many of you who have sinned earlier. And have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that you have practiced. We need to understand this fact. God comes to us. And this is a disciplinary thing that Paul is talking about. He is saying, I'm about to come and I'm going to tell you the hard truth. That your sexual immorality, your sensuality, your anger, your hostility, your slander cannot last in your life. But you know why I'm telling you that? Because I care about you and I want to see you built up. What does Paul say? God does this for our upbuilding. This is one of the biggest lies that has been told to people for years and years. God wants you to have the worst life. And God is trying to keep you from all the pleasures of this world. I knew it when I was in high school. I knew it from when I was a kid. Okay? God wants to keep you from all the good stuff. You know, what, what do you mean he's trying to keep you from, uh, you know, going out and getting drunk all the time? Don't you know that's what you do? That's fun. I mean, God doesn't want, God wants you to do just boring stuff. He wants you to sit and fold your hands and do nothing and stare at the wall. That is what a church person does. But God, he's saying right here, God wants to build up the church. He wants you to have the best possible life that you can have. When he says, don't do this and do this, it's because he loves you. Again, it comes back to a parent thing. And it is tough when you are a child to understand that your parents actually care about you. Okay, that may sound really harsh, what I just said. But there are times, you've always said, like the famous Will Smith song, parents just don't understand. You know what I'm just saying? It's... It's, that's dated me really bad right there. But the whole concept is parents just don't get it. I mean, my parents lived when it was black and white. I looked at my parents' yearbook. It's in black and white. I mean, obviously there was no fun going on in the 50s and 60s. They don't understand what it's like to be a child of the 80s. Okay? 
And definitely my kids can look at me and say, they don't understand what it's like to be a child of the, what do we call them, the 2010s? There's a term we might have for that. But they don't understand what it's like. And parents, but you know what? Parents are there to upbuild their children. Not all parents are perfect on this, but we want to protect children from what is bad. And we want to protect them. And so Paul is saying right here that I fear that I may come again and God may humble me before you. What he's trying to say right here is we need to understand that God is going to come and he's going to maybe have discipline in our lives and he may send people to discipline us. And the way that the church is supposed to discipline one another There's church discipline, but this is all done so that somebody can be built up and prevented from doing something wrong. I am so thankful for people that taught me how to do what is right and stay away from what is wrong. And now when I see people that weren't taught that way, I see with their lives. I have uh, classmates that have hung themselves. They've been so high on drugs. Classmates that I was friends with. I I know there's so many of them that have died and drunk driving accidents, or they're going through three or four marriages, or things like that. And I say, yes, and they maybe were the ones who were telling me, you have such a boring life, and you're not really experiencing life, and you need to get out here and do all this stuff. But God was saying, John, I have a better plan for you. And God is saying to this that today, now he may come down on what you're doing. The hard thing about reading the Bible and really getting into it, is you're going to find out that some of the stuff you're doing is wrong. And God is going to challenge you. A pastor is going to challenge you. And I don't know about you, I don't like to be challenged. I like to have everybody pat me on the back and say, you are the greatest pastor, the greatest father, the greatest person we have ever met, and you're the only one who has no flaws. Okay? Now, we all know that's not true, but we need to be challenged. Because God is saying, open up to me. Understand the fact that I will challenge you. I will send like Paul is challenging here but I care about you. Discipline to do what is better. Second uh, Corinthians 13.10 Paul is going to say this. He's going to say, For this reason I write these things while I am away for you, that when I may c- they come to you, I may ha- not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not tearing down. This is very important. When God comes to you with a hard truth, or the hard truth comes from Scripture. And the only way it can do is come from Scripture. Now, Paul has the authority to speak in a way that I can't because he's an apostle. But I can use Paul's words. When, some, when Paul comes up to you and says, the way you are living is wrong. The Scripture tells you that. It is for building you up, not tearing you down. What you're doing is wrong, the way you're living. If you're running a contracting business and you're overcharging people, and you're challenged by God and says, you know what, you need to stop doing that. He's doing it to build you up, not tear you down. If you are a person who gossips and God challenges you on that, you're challenged on that, he is doing it to build you up so that you can be a better friend and someone that can be trustworthy, not to tear you down. But again, it hurts. Anybody here love to go on diets? Anybody here love to work out? Anybody here love to do, uh, you know, do their homework every time you get some? But... Yeah, okay, we got a few in the back, thank you. They will be giving seminars later. But what I'm trying to say is there are things that you have to do. When my teachers tried to teach me to write, I wasn't real thrilled about it because I was terrible at it. Okay? And my teachers tried to work with me on this, or a coach. When a coach, I mean, why would a basketball coach tell you to run 
to one line, come back to the line, run to the next line, come back, run to the other line, and come back, run to that. And then when you're tired, he says, let's do five more. Because your coach hates you, right? No. It sure felt like it. I remember looking at the coach and wondering, is this person, you know, you know, of the devil or something? Even when I was at a Christian college. But the coach did it because he cared about you. And he cared about the fact that once you got in the game, if you were the one that had the wind at the end of the game, you were the team that was going to win. So God calls us to do sometimes things that are hard, but he does it to build us up, not to tear us down. So don't look at the burdens of God and say, well, God is telling me I can't do these things because he wants to take down my life. He does it for upbuilding. But we really need to understand this. God is the holy judge of the world. This is very important. Paul is nailing it down right here. I, I know this really just flies in the face of our society. But right now, we have decided that what we think is right is what is right. This is the modern, postmodern understanding is my understanding of what is right and your understanding of what is right. Nobody knows what is right. Guess who knows what is right? God. And he gets to determine it. Well, you know, times have changed, and maybe when Paul wrote this, it was that God is the holy judge. God is the one who's going to determine what is right and what is wrong. And we are going to be called into account by holy and just God someday. And he's calling us into account right now. And again, the reason he calls us into account right now is because he cares for us. And the reason that pastors are supposed to preach the word of God and we're supposed to follow the word of God is God has a better plan for us and he doesn't want us to face final judgment after we have died and do not have a chance to repent. He wants us to repent right now, but he is a holy and just judge. You're not going to go up to heaven and say, well... God, I didn't think that that stuff was right because it didn't feel right to me. God is the judge. And it's very important that we understand it. God is fair and uses fair standards. Now you may, this is a verse that may seem like a throwaway verse, but in chapter 13 he says, um, Paul comes, he says, this is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And you may say, what is that? He is saying God follows his own rules. That is an Old Testament Deuteronomy rule. Two or three witnesses, give them three chances. And what he's trying to say is, God doesn't cheat. God's not arbitrary. Have you ever been accused? There, there are chances, and I know I'm not, there are chances that you may have had a teacher, I know it doesn't seem like it, that may have not been fair all the time. I don't know, everybody's like, no, I, I think all my teachers have been perfect. Okay, I've had teachers that weren't fair. I've had teachers that were very fair. I've had judges, I've had policemen that don't know what they're doing. That have pulled, that I had one pull me over that did not know the law. It was interesting to me, and I, and I was respectful and things like that. But we need to understand there may be a judge that doesn't know what's going on. There are people in this world, we may have elected officials that don't know what's going on. But God is a perfect judge. He will follow the rules. He will, be, he will give us every opportunity and be fair to us. And God will give us many warnings. God's not just going to come and tell you something. The worst thing that can happen to you is you get a letter, especially from the IRS. You, missed, you messed up line 14 slash B on form 26A, and you did this six years ago. And now you owe us 10 grand. Okay? And you said to yourself, great. 
I didn't even know it was nice to get in some warning or maybe somebody would have told me. God gives us plenty of warnings. Paul says right here, I warned those who sinned before and all the others. I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. This is God. This is the Bible. This is what God is trying to say. I keep warning you, don't go that direction. God doesn't make arbitrary rules. He tells us this is what's right, this is what's wrong. Follow what I'm telling you to do. I want what's best for you, but I am the righteous judge of this world. You will be judged, but I don't want to judge you. That's the, we need to come back to that parent. Who, what parent here loves to discipline their child? It's not any fun. And God doesn't look at us and say, man, I can't wait to get to them. Those people in Bemidji, oof, some locusts going their way. That's going to be a, such a good time. Get the camera out. Okay, he's not, he doesn't like to do this. This is not God's heart. Think of Jesus as he looked at Jerusalem. What did he do? He wept over Jerusalem. How I long to bring you to me. Okay, Jesus wept. God hurts when his people turn from him. He hurts when humanity turns away. God gives us warning and he cares about us. And God is also a loving and powerful judge. He says, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking for me, in verse 3 and 4, he talks about the fact that Christ was crucified, which shows what? His love. But Christ rose from the dead out of the grave, which shows what? His power. He loves us enough to die for us, but he also rises from the dead and becomes the judge over everything and lets us know that God is a loving, powerful judge. He is here to make sure that we stay in line, but he is the one to ultimately hold us in accountable. And last, lastly in this point, God wants to avoid judgment and for people to repent. Look at Paul says in verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you were in the faith. Test yourselves or you do not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Again, God is hoping that you pass the test. God is hoping that you turn to him. God is hoping for repentance. He has sent his spirit. He has sent his word. He has sent ministers. He has sent people. He sends missionaries. He does everything he can because he does not want anybody to die in sin. He does not want anybody to go to hell. He doesn't want any of these things. He wants people to come to repentance. And he will do everything he can. But you know, we will do everything, unfortunately, we can to say, nah, I don't really believe you. I remember when I was a teacher, I was accused sometimes of, trying to, of being a hard grader. But nothing hurt more than to write a bad score on a test. I hated that. I was teaching in college. Somebody just bombed the test. I hated that. I just, ugh. I said, I want everybody in the, I tell the class every time I teach, I want to write A's on every paper. I want to write A on every report card. It makes me happy. And God wants us to re be repentant and to come back to him. That's what he wants. And that's what he will do. God, not only does God give us a test, this is the best part. God gives us the power to pass the test. All we have to do is look to him. You see, God, I, I read this, that God gives us a test so that he can show his power to help us overcome the test. 
Because we can't do it on our own. If we just went out there and said, we're going to follow everything in the Bible and we're going to be perfect, God says you can't do that. You need to come to me and I will guide you every step of the way. If anybody here is dealing with a temptation in their life that seems overwhelming, guess what? God is there to carry you through. You say, I'm not strong enough to handle this temptation. I'm not handling strong enough to get away from this sin. You know what my answer to you is? You're correct. Well, that's not very nice, Pastor. Thank you. I'm a failure. Ooh, thanks for the word. You know, I'll put something in the offering this week. No, waste. You need to hear the next part. You're not capable, but God is. If you're dealing with sin, if you're struggling with sin in your life, you say, "I can't overcome this. I'm stuck in this sin. I can't do this." You need to understand that God is able to overcome any sin in your life if you merely allow Him and seek Him in prayer and seek Him by His power. He can help you overcome any sin that is in your life. Any sin. Does that mean you're going to live a sin-free life for the rest of your life? No. But it means that He's going to continually be working your life every day, drawing you closer to Him. And He's going to bring you victories. He's going to bring you to overcome it. He's going to bring you to people within the church. He brings you to the body of Christ right here. Why do we gather together? If you're struggling with a sin, you're not supposed to be alone. You're supposed to be with everybody else. Because guess what? There's not one person here who's not struggling with some sin. Maybe you're struggling with gossip. This is one that I like to pick on in the church because nobody else seems to pick on it. Because we in, we in, in churches are really good at gossip. We call it creative prayer requesting. Okay? You need to really pray for this person over here because this is what they've done. It's really bad. Now that's a gossip. Okay? And we love to talk about We love to gossip in churches. We're good at it. Again, dating myself, the church lady with a with thing on, on Saturday Night Live, there's a reason that she was that the character was funny. Because there's enough people in church that we know like that. Who like to gossip. And who like to be condescending to people. But God wants to let us know that we are supposed to overcome this. And we struggle with gossip. We need to come to God in prayer and say, God, help me overcome this. I don't want to be a gossip. We can find someone to pray with us, someone to hold us accountable. We're in this together. Verse 6 goes on any further in chapter 13. It says, I hope that you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you, that you may do what is right. Although we may seem to have failed, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. Look at all these things. I want you to do what is right. I want your restoration to be what we pray for, verse 9. And in verse 10, my authority coming to you, the scriptural authority, is to build you up, not tear you down. So when you go to God in prayer, here's what I think also happens with us. And this kind of comes out of this passage. When you sin, do you feel like praying right away? Do you feel like, I just sinned really horribly. I think I'm going to go do some devotional reading now. No, what do we do? We run like crazy away from God. I heard people, I'm sinning, I don't want to go to church. You know what we need to do when we're struggling with sin? Go to church. Go to God. God has not turned his back on us. You have sinned, there's not God up in heaven going, that's it. I'm done with that person. God is saying, I am not done with you. Now turn and come to me and I will restore you and forgive you. 
God is about building up, not tearing down. The last thing that he calls on here is he says, God sets the standard that is only possible by God's Spirit. Now, look at this list at the end of the, at the chapter here, the book. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the, love of, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet each other with the holy kiss. Okay, there's a reason we got rid of the holy kiss, just for the record, but we'll talk about that later. But right now, God just gives you a list that's going on right here. God gives a list. It's like, oh, so basically just restore all of our relationships, comfort one another instead of gossiping each other, lift each other up, agree with one another. Oh, that's really easy in our country. Uh, Live in peace, never fight with anybody, and the, the God of love and peace will be with you. Oh, that's nothing. We can do that by next week. No, God lays a high standard on them, but then he says this. You have to understand, and the God of love and peace will be with you. All He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In other words, I am laying on this big thing on you at the very end of my chapter of the book. I'm summarizing everything that I'm saying, and I'm saying to you, this is all possible by the Spirit of God. This is all possible if you look to God. You can live in peace at a church. You can be restored. Relationships can be restored. You can comfort one another instead of gossiping. About gossiping. You can come into agreement. You can live in peace, but it's not going to happen with another seminar. It's not going to happen with reading another book. Those are all fine things to do, but it's only going to happen when we become serious about God and we turn our lives over to Him, and we allow Him to change us from the inside. It is only possible when He just tears out the old and puts in the new. We cannot do this on our own. We try to think that we can live in peace. Okay, An Arab and an Israeli can live in peace if they are both filled with the Spirit of God. Okay, Different races, different socioeconomic classes, different kinds of people... Democrats and Republicans, okay? Doesn't matter. Canadians and Americans, we know how tough that can be. But, you know, the whole concept, all of us together can live in peace. Why? Because of Jesus Christ in our lives. That's it. God can do this, and we need to give Him credit, and we need to start seeking Him. But none of this is possible. None of this is possible without Him. He never set us up to do this on our own. We were never built on this earth to handle all of this stuff by ourselves. But you know what we do? You know what the original sin was with Adam and Eve? We don't need you. We'd rather eat the, the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. We'd rather take it on ourselves. I look out in our world and I say, yeah, we did a great job with that. God didn't want us to have all this. And God doesn't want us to have to struggle with this on our own. He is here for us and he can carry us through. When we fail, He's there to pick us back up when we ask for repentance and forgiveness. When we succeed, He's there to rejoice with us. But we need to seek God as a church, seek God as individuals, and come together and realize that we can live at a higher standard. We don't have to be like the world. We are not slaves to sin. We are slaves to Jesus Christ who has set us free. His Spirit is within us. We have hope. So let's stop living below the standard that we have. 
Let's become the Christians that God has called us to be. Why don't you stand with me right now? If our prayer ministers will come forward. If you're here today, we believe in prayer, as you can see. We will have prayer at many different times during the service. But right now, if you're here today and you want to accept Jesus Christ, you've never become a Christian, everything that I talked about today, and I don't want to make this too harsh, but I, I can only tell you what the Apostle Paul says in the Bible. You can't do. Without Christ, we don't have hope. We may overcome some things every once in a while. We may have a little bit of peace, a little bit of hope, things like that. But without Christ, we cannot do it. We were never made. We're not built to handle this. We're not built to handle what this world has. But with Christ, everything is possible. What does it say in early? Did he say in 2 Corinthians? We are new creations in Christ. All things have become new. That's the only hope we have as we recreated, reborn, born again in Christ. And if you're here today and you're just saying, you know what, I can't overcome this. I, I'm living under my own sin. I, I don't have hope. You need to find hope in Jesus Christ. And our prayer ministers are available to pray with you. But for everybody else that's here, the challenge that Paul has given us today is this. Start to live like the person of God you've been called to be. Real church does not have to be bad church. Well, that's just reality. This is who we are. I heard it the other day, somebody saying, well, I was born Irish, so you know I have to have a temper. Really? Is there, a, I mean, is there a scientific, could somebody do a study on that? I'm German, I have to be this. I'm from Bemidji. You know, the, I'm from Bagley. Well, you know Bagley people. I, no. I'm, this is my last name. This is the way people were. No. You have been redone by Christ. It's time to start living that way. It's time to say, God, challenge me. Because first of all, I don't want to be an eternal judgment. And I don't want your judgment to come down. But I know you want to lift me up. If there are things in my life that are not the way God has called me to be, I want to give them up. And it may be hard, but I want to depend daily on your power to overcome them. It's time to stop living like the world and start living like Christ has called us to. Because he is the one who gives us the power to do that. He is the one who gives us the power to overcome sin, the power to change, the power to be the God has called us to be. But we need to let him, and we need to dedicate ourselves to becoming that kind of person. And he is calling us as a church. And we do that. You know what our witness in this town is going to be? It's going to go through the roof. Not because we did it. We're not going to walk around, you know what? We're the best church in town because we're pretty much the best. We do all these. We're going to walk around saying Christ is the best. He has changed our lives and he can change yours. If he can do it, like Paul says, I am the chief of all sinners. If he can change me, he can change you. He can change us and make us the people he wants us to be. Lord, we pray today. We pray for your, for your help in our lives, God. We know that when you come, even with a, a harsh word like we had today, God, that you come with love saying that you want to see us succeed. You want to see us overcome these sins. You don't want us to live in our sensuality, sexual immorality, and lying, and gossip, and all these other things in our lives, our addictions, God. You don't want to see us this way. You don't want us to live under judgment. You want us to live under freedom. And God, I pray for breakthroughs in people's lives today that they will find freedom that only comes when they turn their lives over to you. When we stop trying to do it ourselves, when we stop trying to rely on our own things, and we turn it over to you, God.
And I pray right now that you, your Holy Spirit will start to flow through us. The, the prayer of Paul, God, that the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That let us be with us today, that the Trinity just surrounds us and becomes a, a part of who we are, God. So we are Christ followers and we, are, we, we dwell with you and your, we are your temple, God. I pray that this happens so we can see our lives transformed and changed and we can be brought to the life that we are called to be. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to pray with somebody, we have our prayer ministers available. Otherwise, you are dismissed.